Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. listening to Flop Culture, a podcast where we mainly talk about flops, unsurprisingly, but we also talk bops, hot goss and pop culture at large with me, Fanula J. This week we're talking about a rom-com and it's a great combo, so I think we should just get straight into it. Nothing screams the 2010s more than a romantic comedy starring Anna Faris and Chris Evans about the idea of someone's body count, aka the number of people a person has slept with. What's Your Number has a stacked cast and some jokes to boot, but it didn't quite land with audiences back in 2011. Joining me to investigate why is TV critic Robin Murphy. Enjoy. Robin Murphy, thank you so much for coming to do Flop Culture. I am delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. Talk to me about your pick and why you picked it. Yes, so this... Um, film which I have picked is kind of what I think of as my dirty little secret (laughs) in terms of in like with work the work that I do and then also whenever like you're talking about college with people and you're like oh what'd you do in college and I tell them that I did film studies the inevitable question is what's your favourite film and this is my all time favourite film your all time favourite film all time favourite film and I'm so ashamed of it that like people will ask me and I'll say like something like cooler like The Departed or La La Land or like Whiplash which are all films that I do genuinely love what's the one where Morgan Freeman's in prison Shawshank that one why did I forget that (laughs) but yeah you're saying that one like (laughs) like yet something of a bit like more higher standard but I had I was out with some friends a while ago and the kind of topic came up and I have two really really good friends and something came up like what's Robin's favourite film and my friend said oh La La Land and then my really close friend who was beside me directly like just whispered what's your number like yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> yes. So I have chosen uh, the 2011 romantic comedy, What's Your Number, as my flop. What is What's Your Number about for anyone who has yet to watch? Yes, for anyone unfamiliar, and I'm going to, we probably end up spoiling it in the talk. So like, oh, pre, yes, absolutely. No, no, that like, we like, you know, yeah, yeah. you're going to get it spoiled for you. Yeah. But it is a romantic comedy ba- that is based on a book by, I have her name here, Karen Bosnick called 20 Times a Lady, which I think is a better title. Like, if yeah. I, it's a better title than What's Your Number. But it basically follows Ali, who's played by Anna Faris, who is a woman in her kind of early, mid-30s, um, going through life. She's working in marketing in Boston. And her younger sister is getting married, which kind of, she feels a little bit usurped about that. And then she gets fired from her job. And on her way from being fired, she finds this kind of old magazine in her stuff and finds an article that says that women in America who have slept with 20 or more people can't find a husband. So she starts to jot down all the people that she slept with, realizes she's on 19. And then at her sister's bachelorette party that night, vows that the next person she's going to sleep with is her husband, only to get blackout drunk and sleep with her boss that very same night. Her ex boss, because she's just been fired. Who she's just been fired from. Incredibly by Joel McHale, who he plays dirtbags so well. well. Even he has like a really tiny, for anyone who hasn't seen The Bear, he's a really tiny part in The Bear as like Mm. your man's boss in the Michelin star. Like Gordon Ramsay-esque, but not even like in a brute shouting way. In just a, you are are pathetic. I fucking hate. Like psychological. I'm, I love Joel McHale. Anyway, yeah. So she gets with Joel McHale. So she gets with Joel McHale that night. Understandably. And now she's at 20. Okay. So she vows that the next person that she sleeps with, or well, she has vowed that she would not sleep with anybody else, but now she's at 20 and she's had a problem. So in comes Chris Evans, the gorgeous, gorgeous Chris Evans, who plays her neighbour, um, who comes from a family of cops. So he's like really good at tracking people down. He like says to her that he has like dirt on everyone in their building. Says it very nonchalantly. Very like, nonchalantly. I, and I, I had this in my notes. I was like, is this movie, like, is there some kind of Google spawn in this? Because at one point <laughs> yeah. he says that he's like, um, he's like, I've Google alerts on everyone. And then mentioned something else about like, mentioned some other Google product really yeah. unnaturally. And she's like, class, okay. Yeah. I was like, what the and fuck am I watching? They do have that whole montage where she is googling herself so she tries yeah. herself when she reaches 20 she tries herself to track down all of her ex-boyfriends because she's inspired in part by the fact she's ran into who she terms disgusting Donald who's one of her played exes played by Chris Pratt played who, by Chris Pratt we will come husband. back to we will, we will come back to that we who was her husband at the time but um, so she meets up with disgusting Donald who is now like 2011 Chris Pratt he's training for Guardians of the Galaxy he's lost the weight he's looking well so inspired by the fact that he has changed since their time together she tries to find and track down her previous partners discovers that's a lot harder than she thought it was so then drafts in Colin who is Chris Evans' character to track down all of her ex-boyfriends because she's determined that like one of them is meant to be her husband. One of them is the right one. And one so of them is Mr. Right. We meet these various ex-boyfriends or like ex- ex-exploits ex, yeah. throughout. Which There's is like a stellar cast list because even like as you say Joe McHale I have them I all was impressed. I was down. really impressed. Run we them have down. like 
Joel McHale and Chris Pratt, who we've talked about. Then we also have Martin Freeman, Anthony Mackie, Andy Samberg, Aziz Ansari plays the guy on the phone at the end. Um, Zachary Quinto is the like first ex, and then oh Rick, oh, fucking Rick. Jesus! Then, Everyone knows a Rick who's <laughs> like everybody has a Rick. I care about the environment, but then just yeah, like yeah. you could see him cycling off, and he just will never text you back. Never text loves you his back bike again. more than he loves any woman, probably. <laughs> yeah. And the other one is Dave Annabelle, who's the kind of main kind of guy who she's trying to get with. He comes from a rich family. They were like childhood sweethearts. Mm. Um, but Dave Annabelle mightn't be familiar, but to anybody who has watched Brothers and Sisters, he was just in Brothers and Sisters, which is how I know him. <laughs> Thank you, because that was wrecking. My- I need to rewatch Brothers and Sisters. I haven't yeah. watched it in so long. I loved it. I was like, there's something... Oh, that's You're actually. Like, I know that face. That but satisfied I just don't me, know but that that's also irritated me that I didn't remember. I really need to go back, go back yeah. and rewatch Brothers and so Sisters. So it's a stellar, it's a stellar crew of exes she's got going on. When Anthony Mackie turns up, like they probably have the funniest interaction because the whole thing is like he. I uh, wouldn't be familiar. with I know he's like the superhero stuff. I haven't yeah. seen a lot of the superhero stuff that he's in, but obviously the obvious ensemble stuff. Yeah, like. He's funny, like, he can do comedy He's in a way that really I wasn't really expecting. Yeah. yeah, And even as I was re-watching it last night, his kind of proposition to her, so again, spoiling it, sorry, but so he's one of her exes, he's on track to be a senator, but he's also gay, and he has this thing where he, you know, he says that America is ready for a black president, but they're not ready for a black gay president, so she, he wants her to be like his beard, mm. so that they would get married and kind of rise up the political sphere in the US, and I was like... Honestly, if he offered me that, I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> why, why I'm just like, and I can't believe you're turning and this I down. I can't believe you're turning this down. You were going to be like a senator's wife, maybe even the first lady, but you were like, nah. Nah. Like, I'd do it. She just wants to stay making her mad sculptures. She just wants to stay with those sculptures. Her which... mad, mad sculptures. Um, yeah. Disgusting, Donald. Maybe we should revisit that actually before <laughs> yeah. we even get into Chris Evans. Like, it's a bit of a weird one because obviously it's like, I would say it's like borderline fat phobic the way it's yeah. kind of it's fat phobic without saying it's fat phobic because obviously it's mm-hmm. like the implication is they were together they both looked very different like were obsessed with eating but like never like would never cook themselves would like eat out loads she yeah. meets him then when they're like she's with her sister wedding cake yeah. tasting and she meets disgusting Donald and he's actually also getting married so she lies about getting married and stuff yeah when I just think about, like, when you consider that there are two significant Chris's in this movie, and as you mentioned, Anna Faris was regrettably married to Chris Pratt at this time. Yeah. How different would the world be if she had gotten married to Chris Evans instead? Do you know what I mean? I, I kind of think COVID wouldn't happen. Like, I think <laughs> I think a lot of things in life yeah. would have been inc- incredibly better. Incredibly like, it's just... Better. Like, nature would be healing. Exactly. I don't think... No like, COVID. climate change, I think, would be kind of grand. Yeah. Like, I just... That hole in the ozone layer, sewn up with that relationship. That's it. Anna Faris is the star of this movie in every sense of the word star. Like she is, I don't know, I see people having conversations around like who's who's the rom-com queen on on social media. And it's, you know, the obvious names come up. So it's like Julie Roberts, Meg Ryan. uh, They're kind of the two main ones. Other names come up. I'm sure you're thinking of some as I'm saying it. But (laughs) like... Anna Farris said had a good run up to this. You're like talking House Bunny. There'd been a couple of other things. Uh, then she does this. And like, look, it's not a total flop in the sense that it did make back some money. I yeah, think it, it ended did. up making like... It made... So it had a $20 million budget. And then like globally, so between the US and kind of everywhere else, made 30.4. So like it returned... It made like... 
it's budget and a half. Like I made yeah. like a hundred and fifty percent or yeah. whatever of a return, which isn't bad and which is good for a rom com mm. in twenty eleven as well. Which like one of the reasons when we get into it a little bit later about like why I think it flopped. It's like I have one of a few reasons. One of them I think is around the time that it came out, just in terms of what the cinema landscape in the twenty eleven twenty twelve. Well, I was going like. to say, but let's talk about it now because like yeah. when you look at the movies that the top ranking movies that did well, it's like Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two, Transformers, yeah. Dark the Moon, Pirates of the Caribbean, On. Stranger Tides, Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn Part 1, Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol, Kung Fu Panda 2, Fast Five, Hangover Part 2, The Smurfs and Cars 2. Nine out of ten of them are sequels. sequels. You know what I mean? And it's all like franchises and obviously Smurfs would go on to have its sequels or whatever. But this really was a point of like real difficulty for rom-coms, I think. I think Mm -hmm. this is where it's, so you're coming out of the 90s and the noughties and then you're in this early teenies probably for the majority of the teens as well where I just think we never really stuck the landing in terms of rom-coms and like I did enjoy this I'm not sure I enjoyed it as much as you (laughs) yeah but but I think it's because tonally I think it has issues I think it thinks it's one thing and it doesn't really commit to it Mm -hmm. I think because it was like R-rated the humour's there but there's yeah. a part of me that just thinks if it went like full hog and kind of nearly winked at itself, it would have succeeded a bit more. A bit more. But because it kind of trips up on the ROM side of the calm, I think. I don't know. What yeah. do you think? Yeah, I do. I do think it strikes a nice balance. And I wonder if it was like when I first watched it, which is why I kind of fell heavily for it. Because it, yeah. it came at the, the height of my like Chris Evans face. But like in terms of, yeah, when it came out, I think there's a lot that would have happened socially or even like cinematically or within film at that time Mm. that probably didn't help it succeed like I had taken a I took a rom-com and chick flicks class in my master's degree because these were the things we did out dream (laughs) why the fuck did I bother doing journalism Jesus Christ it was such a good class but one of the things we looked at looked at was this like post recession or like the recession era rom-com right mm. so you've moved away from the like consumerism of the noughties 27 dresses the, like the 27 <laughs> how many like bridal movies came out in the noughties like 27 dresses Maid of Honor Wars Maid of Honor do you know it all love kind of, of and even like Confessions of a Shopaholic yes. all kind of geared yeah. towards you like spending money and you buying money and now the economy has crashed and nobody wants to do that or nobody wants to see that on screen like if you are paying to go to the cinema you're paying for like an escapist mm. experience of like to get away from what you're thinking about at home so it's like you don't want to see a beautiful person spending like hundreds of thousands yeah. of dollars on like shopping sprees because you can't do that so it's not or aspirational or something yeah, or, like, yeah, I get like that. so this, there was a switch in the rom-coms then once the recession came around where like I wrote an essay comparing no strings attached friends with benefits and friends with kids where they seemed to make this shift into the focus was on your immediate circle so as you say you're not spending money on dates you're not going out to bars to try and pick up people you're looking within yourself and within your own kind of inner circle because your friends already like you they're already interested in you and why don't you just like make that jump to kind of get with them and pursue them as a yeah. romantic aspect. Which so, is exactly what Anna Faris' character is doing. Which is exactly is doing. what Anna Faris is doing. You know, she's looking into herself, she's spending all this money chasing down all her exes and then she's like, well, just go with the friend instead. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like the way that it switches around. But I think in terms of like the rom-com has really gone through a lot in kind of recent times 
in terms of it, it kind of made that shift from, as you say, when you were talking about the rom-com stars, you know, in the kind of 80s when they were really big and then the 90s and to the noughties when we got the kind of most of them, their like heaviest mm. concentration. It was like rom-coms were star vehicles. Like they were like, you know, the way that you became a star. And if you landed a lead in a romantic comedy, like you were set, mm. you know, and you kind of kept getting these recurrences. It's kind of how like the McConaughey's and the Anne Hathaway's and the Kate Hudson's got kind of pulled into that genre where, you know, they were really bankable. So they kept making rom-coms with these stars because people were spending the money and they were going to see it. And I think around 2011, if you look at what was going on, is like even that list you mentioned, it's all sequels, but it's also you've... the second to last and the last Breaking Dawn Harry Potter and mm. then you have the kind of 2012s coming around and you're starting the Hunger Games franchise you're starting all the superhero narratives and you're also starting like Divergent all those young adult adaptations and superheroes are getting really really big at this time so instead of being like a star vehicle to like bring on the next person like rom-coms are kind of looked at as like something that you did I feel anyway something that you did if you couldn't get a superhero movie. Mm. Like if you weren't getting the superhero jobs or you weren't getting cast in a young adult adaptation, like you did your rom-coms. Yeah. And they weren't kind of viewed with the same kind of... I'd like, I always think that like rom-coms have probably been a bit looked down upon within the scope of film anyways. Like kind of as if, oh, anyone can do it, which I really totally. disagree with. I think it takes so a very like, special person to be able to do a good rom-com. Yeah, you, and we will talk about it later. You yeah. clearly can't because we've had like a glut of really bad really ones bad again. Ones. And like yeah. you look at streamers who have all this money, like yeah. Netflix, and they have yet to do, maybe you'll argue with me on this, but like they've yet to do a really good one. And again, they draft in the people who are viewed as bankable and in inverted yeah. commas. And they just, something, there's a lack there, you know what I mean? So, no, I think there has always been this kind of sneery look at them, for sure, which has been unfair. But again, why is that? It's because they're marketed towards women. It's because the primary audience, women. Women. And because why? People hate women. That's why. (laughs) Yeah, the crux of it, people hate women. It can always be tied back to that, always. (laughs) But I am going to argue with you on the Netflix point. Oh, okay. Well, we'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. As I mentioned, like Anna Faris had kind of come off on a good run of stuff, but then 2011, she was in this. She was in Take Me Home Tonight, which I've never seen. Mm -hmm. Uh, But is I I thought it was supposed to be okay, but just kind of never went anywhere. But when I was looking at it, I think the reviews were very mixed and it was a, a much bigger flop than... Uh, what's her number? She was also in Alvin and the Chipmunks, Chipwrecked, which is the third movie the third in that Chipmunks. Alvin and the Chipmunks franchise. Yeah. And that made over $340 million, which Jesus. would make you want to do things to yourself. You look at Chris then, yeah. that year, again, he's obviously coming off of, like he's been busy, but... He's been booked and busy, but he hadn't, I think until this point, he hasn't had a lot of hits. No, so like, not another teen movie. Again, like yeah. funny in that, funny, but again, yeah. lacking in the in the ROM sense there. Yeah. But he shows he can still do funny in yeah. What's Your Number. But in terms of other stuff he did this year, so he's in an indie movie called Puncture. Mm-hmm. I think it might be called Injustice over here. Yeah. And this is like very gritty, like very meat. This very is an dark. actor's movie. Yeah. It's about Michael David uh, Weiss, an American lawyer who began a class action lawsuit against hospital syringe distributors in America. You know, protect, protecting nurses from accidental syringe sticks. Yeah. Uh, and another movie, not sure if you've ever heard of it, Captain America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that little known indie. That little, that it took them years movie. to get it off the ground. Yeah. You know, the, the financing kept falling through. Yeah. yeah. But one of the reasons why I, when I thought about it, why 
considering why it might have flopped is I thought there had been an element perhaps that year in the year that it came out of like Chris Evans fatigue right because as I said like he's been kind of booked busy he's been steadily going along like I was looking at his IMDb last night like he has like a movie every year Mm. if not at least one movie every year since like 2001 right so we're kind of 10 years kind of into his career now and as you say he had those films and then he also had Scott Pilgrim versus the world in 2010 oh yes Um, and he had another kind of ensemble action piece in the losers in 2010 and then also in 2011 he was going into that kind of press tour cycle for the Avengers movie Mm. so he was kind of everywhere in 2011 and I thought one of the reasons why maybe it wouldn't have hit is like were people a bit fed up with him at that stage? Maybe, maybe. Do I was know? just going to ask, did did that Captain America kick off like that fir- that new phase of it being like the MCU or when did that start? So the, the first phase of the MCU started technically with the Incredible Hulk in 2008 and then Iron Man was also 2008 and Iron Man is really seen as the kind of first one. Yeah. But then you had Iron Man in 2008, you had Iron Man 2 in 2010 and then in 2011, you had Thor and Captain America. And the Captain America movie, like the end of that and the end of Thor, led directly into the events like of the Avengers. Yeah. I, jo- so I it really did like kick it off. And like Captain America is the like the leader of the Avengers. Yeah. The Iron Man fans are screaming at me. I can hear it. But like, oh my he God, is they're going to the be so mad at you. So mad. Uh, yeah, yeah. Captain America is what really. In my brain, well, yeah, was yeah. like, okay, this is. Because I think even then. Like, incredible, like, critic-wise even, I think mm. The Incredible Hulk was like, grand, yeah, same with Iron Man, whatever. And then Captain America was like, oh, no, actually, maybe maybe they're onto something here. And, like, yeah. I think it was also, that anchor was Chris Evans, because you had, like, it's been a while since I've seen that movie, but, like, yeah. the gist of it, like, there's a lot of comedy moments there, and then there's obviously <laughs> the romance angle. Yeah. He does it all he really does it all. well. Like, Pretty he's, well. And he's very good in this as, like, and he's also just, like, it's stupidly hot. It's, it's just it's so... so it's, every it's, time I had to look at that, whatever the animatomic... What? Anatomy? Anatomical? Anatomical. The V that men have there. Yeah. That shouldn't be... That should need to be censored. Like, Every time he's in the door frame, I was like... Oh, it's just so distracting. Literally, like. my first note is like his his introduction, his opening scene. I'm like, what a fucking scene. Oh. He emerges like from his apartment, eating an apple, holding like a tea towel in front of there, like V-lines fully on display. Like it is, it's incredibly sexy. They need new towels in that apartment because <laughs> they're threadbare. They yeah. are threadbare. That's all it's I a great say. In- it's a great introduction scene. And he's just so charismatic. He is and very charismatic. I think charismatic. that's the thing about Chris Evans in general, like as an actor, is it's why all those kind of sound bites or bits from like him in interviews end up going viral. Like, you know, the one from the Lightyear press tour? Yeah. When he, he asked, he was like, oh, do you like the moustache? Be honest. It's like, yeah, <laughs> so sexy. But he is incredibly charismatic as an actor and he plays this rom-com lead incredibly well, I think. Do you, do you know why I also think so, think it works? Because I just don't think he's taken it... I think he's not taking it too seriously, but I also think yeah. he's taking it seriously enough in a way that like some actors probably don't. You know yeah. what I mean? Like pre-McConaissance, like Matthew McConaughey, I actually mm. do think he took all of those roles like incredibly really seriously. seriously. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it wasn't like, it's a trick in some ways, but you know what I mean? In yeah. the way that we were talking about previously that other actors would have been like, I wouldn't wouldn't touch this with a barge pole, whatever. Yeah. Matthew was like, I'm turning up to work. I'm meeting the ghosts of my girlfriends or yeah. I, Kate Hudson wants to dump me in 10 days, fair enough, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Like he committed. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think Chris Evans has that same quality about yeah. him. I think he's like really unable to 
not commit to something and not in like a Jeremy Strong like method way but yeah. in just that he's like I'm going to turn up and do the best job that I can and I think that's yeah. even I think it's palpable with the chemistry he has with Anna like yeah. they are they are really believable like I re- they for me the two of them are the strongest things about this movie for sure yeah. they definitely they have really really good chemistry and that they're really believable as being like you can totally see them in another kind of life as just being these neighbours who become friends who end up falling for each other and um, because yeah they're both kind of ridiculously attractive people and they're they're funny and like you know they have incredible bodies that like strip horse scene in the mm. garden when they're playing basketball you're just like Jesus Christ these are two like incredibly good looking people incredibly hot people and um, but they are really really believable as romantic interests I think and I think it's kind of a bit clear like as you say you get the sense that he committed to it in terms of you can tell he's having fun with it you yeah. can tell that he's like enjoying being there and but like he is taking it seriously he's not just kind of looking at it as as you say just like another job he just turns up he gets his check and he goes and I think it's because like they did have they knew each other before filming and um, they would have been friends kind of before filming and I think that really plays in a, like a big part of it where you you can tell that these are two people that like each other they didn't just meet like that morning of like beginning of shooting I've been like okay well I guess we're supposed to be in love with each other now like they did have a kind of pre-existing relationship which helps but also even if there wasn't that relationship like it as we say it takes a very special person to be able to do a rom-com because you do have to convincingly be like even if you've never met this person I really like them I'm in love with you I would do anything for you the chemistry is like such obviously when you have a romance plot it's such a huge part of it but it really just does make or break mm. the romantic comedy. And it is, as you say, probably the best part of this is that they clearly get on so well together and that they're having fun and you can tell and it makes you kind of want to follow along with them. How do you think it holds up now? Because I suppose yeah. just going back to like why I, do, why I don't think it 100% sticks the landing is that mm. obviously it's around this like very antiquated thing of like body counts, like how yeah. many people you've slept with and how that's like an indication of who you are. And I know there's... There's some couple, like, they have friends, or she has friends in the movie that, like, basically don't believe it. It's Eliza Coop, I think, is the main one. The other blonde gal who slept with, like, 12 or 13 people or something. And she's like, "Uh, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm a whore as well, blah, 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 whatever. Like, I... (sighs) I don't want to get too like because obviously it's a movie and you have to like extend your or suspend your belief or whatever disbelief even yeah but there is just a part of me that just feels like it would have been a little bit more enjoyable and a little bit less like icky had it not been her being like had it not just been a piss take you know what I mean like it's that that part of it is still very like it's very late noughties, early teenies, you yeah. know, that kind of way. Like yeah. it has that bang off it. It's not, yeah, it's not, obviously it's not very progressive. And I think it's easy to just be like, oh, well, it was, what are we, 12 years ago now? So mm. it's like, oh, it, that's the reason why. It's like, no, it probably could have went a bit more. Like I think in a lot of ways, and I was actually surprised, I'd say rewatching it again last night, was like how, to me, pro- like progressive, and I use progressive kind of very lightly, but like Chris Evans's character is quite progressive in it and he's very open and like from the start been like any guy who cares about your number the amount of people that you slept with like is not the person you want to be around is not somebody that you want to be with you know it's like and it's the acknowledgement that like it's okay for guys to have these really big numbers like you know we're 
as I say, I'm going to stop saying spoiler alert because we are just, if you're this far now, you have. If you're this far in, babe. But obviously it would surprise no one to know that we talked about Anna and Chris get together at the end and they have this kind of love declaration scene where, you know, she says to him, I think I love you 21, you know, so she's going to sleep with him. He's going to be her 21st. And he says, I love you to 300 and and she stops him. Mm. So it's like he has slept with nearly probably 400 people and she's only at 21. And yeah, I think a lot of it though comes from her herself which is the the kind of thing that maybe annoys me the most about it mm. is that like she's the one like originally when she reads the article on the train and it says in the article that the national average of like the number of people that women have slept with or American women have slept with is like 10.5 and she thinks that's incredibly low and it's the woman beside her on the train who's like oh yeah that seems very high and she's like no low, low that is low and it's only when she compares herself to other people that she actually is like, oh, she gets really conscious of it then. Mm. Like she didn't think prior to this anything of the fact that she had slept with 19 people. Like that was normal. That's just what she had done. But it was then the other influences of this. It's this article telling her that that's wrong. It's the lady on the train telling her that's wrong. I say when she goes to that like bachelorette party, like that same evening with her sister and their friends, you know, she makes them play the game where everybody writes down the number of people they slept with. And then she, yeah, she comes across the friend who has 13. And originally like, when she sees the 13, she's really, you can see it, she's really relieved because she's like, oh, thank God, like it's not anybody else like me, you know, it's somebody else like me. And it's only when the rest, her sister and the rest of their friends start to shame her for that, for the 13, that she's like, oh yeah. And then she joins in and she's like, starts calling her a whore and stuff. And then it, it flips back around on her a couple of minutes later when she tries to tear up the piece of paper. Um, so she's obviously written 19 and she tries to tear the paper and say that it's only nine, but her sister finds it and puts it together. And they're like, oh, you're at 19. And she gets shamed for it then. And then she starts to become really conscious of it. Mm. Whereas I think if she had not maybe owned it a little bit more, it kind of would have been better. But for me, I just didn't like how internally she took it in that she was fine with it until other people started to shame her yeah. for it. And look, maybe that's more reflective of the actual true experience because yeah. that is the thing I'm sure for most for people now people, where it's yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like there are still people who would call someone any name under, or women obviously predominantly, yeah. any name under the sun because they'd slept with however many people or there's still a thing where it's like, oh my, he he or she has been with everyone under the sun, you know what I mean? Yeah. So in fairness, I suppose, I'm probably being a little bit too hard on it. That line where she tears up the paper and like then they cop that it's actually 19 yeah. and the, the other friend is like oh my god you've slept at 91 people <laughs> yeah. that is funny I do that have to give them good. that I have to give them that but it isn't look it's not the most pro- I don't think rom-coms as a whole are the most progressive in the world but like this is especially not like even as we did touch on it before it's treatment of like dus- disgusting Donald mm. like it is kind of re- a, a, a biff at good bit transphobic or transphobic baphobic um you know in the way that it handled it and that he's she's only like interested in him or she's now would only even consider going back to him because he's lost because weight he's lost weight, and yeah. he looks better now um and that's her that's the crux of her whole like mission is that like well he's lost weight and he's looks good so and like he's getting my married. other exes yeah. must be great by now like maybe yeah. you know they did age well and like on top of that is the kind of caveat that like I think there's a lot of pressure and maybe it's me reading too much into it, but there is the kind of pressure of her younger sister is getting married and she's the older one. And I think that's kind of having an effect on her. But also her younger sister is getting married to a guy who she dated in high school who was a dick, who she met again like 10 years later and was great. So that's the whole like crux of all of the relationships around her. Played by 
tiny baby-faced Oliver Jackson Cohen who people know as Luke from The Haunting of Hill House which was very startling for me to watch I was like oh baby Luke I think he has like two lines I don't even think he has a line he's barely in it I was like he says like she makes a Anna Faris makes like a speech and at yeah, the he's wedding like, he's, he's like, like don't worry okay. ba- she she's obviously gets drunk and like has a banger making this speech and like Daisy's like what and she he turns to Daisy and he's like don't worry babe and then he says obviously something at the end he says like I love you or I do and then something else I like that's it their vows their wedding scene is very cute though yeah. the vows are very sweet very yeah. very sweet very sweet who is her best ex obviously it was the best that she ended up with Colin Chris Evans yeah. but if you had to pick someone else who was the best ex Oh, it's it's tough because like <laughs> I think probably Tom, probably Tom Piper, the, the Anthony Mackie side. I know we've already said that uh, he he wanted her to be his beard, and I couldn't. I still just don't really understand what you turned that down. You could be first lady, and you can have your little like affairs on the side. I still, and I still think happy. there could be love there, there but just not that there. kind of love. Yeah, like he clearly like was very very taken with her in terms of they seemed like two people that would get on really really well. They could have a kind of good life together in a good companionship, like a good kind of friendship. And that's probably obviously different. She's never going to get that kind of intimacy from him. But I think he's a really really nice guy and a really nice character like I do think Dave Annabelle or like Justin I'm just going to call him Justin now because nobody is going to know Justin from Brothers and Sisters <laughs> is like he's incredibly attractive and he's obviously really rich and he has things but he's also like God, he's so dick. boring and it he's just, so yeah, boring yeah <laughs> that whole thing when they're dancing at the wedding and he's like oh, but and again I will say as much as it like grates me it does highlight that experience of like you you get with a guy or whatever he thinks he's taking your virginity yeah. and he's like he has that like kind of quote unquote ownership over you and like yeah. takes that pride in it and then when she actually tells him she's like mm, actually I've slept with a load of people not just you and yeah. you weren't the first blah 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 and he's like Dad! like it's just and it's, it's like the assumption when he, she does tell him also that scene is really uncomfortable isn't it when like her like virginity lost in so they cut through scenes in at different points of her in the past with these exes and so she was supposed to lose her virginity to Justin from Brothers and Sisters in like the summer of high school but then he went abroad so he she gets with um, the weird puppet master guy from like next door played by Andy Samberg and like there is a scene of like when she loses her virginity and it's just so uncomfortable but um, you know even when she does come around and say to him in the end like oh you know you weren't my first and he just immediately assumes that it's only been him and this mm. other person you're like no she's a woman in her 30s of course she slept oh, with other people men. but who do you think do you think like Tom is her best as in the senator mm. Anthony Mackie do you know I did. I kind Simon of love, is not bad but is, is that Martin is Freeman's character bad. there's a part yeah. of me that's just like she fucked that you know what I mean yeah, like we don't even really know what went on she was trying to do a Cockney British <laughs> accent that did that, that scene killed funny. me I have to say yeah. like, if you're, you're going to get anyone to do like a fake accent let it be yeah, and let it be not offensive but like the Brits are fine yeah we but can she, take it they're but fine but she committed to it but you're right I think like he was sound and he seemed really really nice and I'm sure like when they met when they meet up again and she runs into him if she had just gone with being herself and did it in an American accent they could have laughed and been like yeah I faked the British one when we were dating because I wanted to impress you I think they could have been really good together then mm. if she just had owned up but no she tried to commit it and then ended up doing this like Borat accent which is very funny there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Yeah, there's so much of her that it's like she didn't show any of her actual self with any of these people and that's yes. probably also the root of the issue as opposed to now some of them obviously were just tapped. Yeah. But then obviously then she ends up with Colin and it's like yes. they can just be themselves together and he's going to play his weird punk, pop punk music at weddings. Yeah. Again, not sure what wedding he'd be booked out to do that but whatever. And she's making her weird figurines. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I just... Our, our great artist couple. Yeah, great, truly. Yeah. Truly. Uh, what does a rom-com look like for you in 2023 then? Like what's the best example and what's the worst kind of modern example, do you think? Yeah, Ooh. I think to bring it back to the, I know you said you think like Netflix and stuff and the streamers are kind of the bit of the downside of the rom-com where I actually think they've kind of helped it a lot Okay. Um, for a reason in that I think as we've talked about, you know, in the early teens kind of, they weren't getting made or they were they were kind of looked down upon in the early kind of teens. Mm. And I think like when you look at the history of the streamers or Netflix, because you know the way like Netflix started as just you'd go online, you'd pick a film and they'd send you the DVD. And they'd post, they'd you, the post you the DVD. There are going to be children listening to this podcast and they're going to be like, sorry? Sorry? Yeah, literally. Like they used to, you'd go online, you'd pick your movies, they'd send you the DVDs in the post and then you'd watch them. And then they trust you to send, send them, them back, back, which is just like nuts to me. Again, like, like actually deranged. It reminds me of when I was younger. We lived across from a Chartbusters. We didn't. It wasn't even extra vision. It was like Chartbusters, and I watched the Aristocats and the Little Vampire so much that my mom and she, my mom couldn't find the, the VHS as it was at the time anywhere. So she actually just bought it off them <laughs> because I think she told. I think she went over and told them that I had like broken the tape. And they were like, oh, well, we'll just charge you for it. And she was like, yeah, grandma. I just actually watched it that much. She was like, I can't keep going over she, and Yeah, She was like, it's this. not worth this. It's like. not worth it. But anyway, so that was how Netflix had started. And then it kind of did its like foray into, you know, making its own original content. And I obviously like people sometimes are like, why are Netflix series so short? And it, like the long and short of it is they just didn't have the money mm. when they were starting out. So like they were making original like limited series because they couldn't do like an office, like The Office or like a network comedy or a network drama that are like 22 episodes per season because there just wasn't the budget for it. So they started doing the kind of limited series and then they picked off and got off well. And I think they do have a lot of good rom-coms in this kind of early to mid kind of teens because rom-coms are so, so cheap to make. Mm-hmm. Like as you say, like the budget for What's Your Number is $20 million. Like which in comparison to like, 
I don't even know how much it, t- it took to do like Avatar, but I think it's something in the kind of five, four hundred millions mm. or something. Like insane amount of money. So it costs virtually nothing to make a rom-com. And when you don't have like a lot of money and you're trying to build your original content, like rom-coms are a good way to do it. And I think like one of the best rom-coms, like second favourite to What's Your Number for Me, is Set It Up, which is on Netflix. Okay, I haven't seen it, but I've heard a lot it about it. very good. Okay. It's, it's, it has something like 98% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is just like unheard of for a romantic comedy. It follows like Glenn Powell, who's in Top Gun Maverick, who I love oh, more than anything. Yeah. So attractive. Dream boat. So him and Zoe Deutsch are assistants who have really horrible, horrible bosses. Okay. And they they spend too much time in their offices together. They're always like the people who are the last ones in their building. So they conspire together to set them up, to put them together. Because they're convinced if they just if they sleep together, they'll be fine. Or if they just have like regular sex, they'll be fine. They're just highly strong. They're just highly strong. You know, they just need to get the ride. It's fine. It's understandable. (laughs) So they try and set them up together um, to free up some time in their own lives. And then like Glenn Get them off their backs. Get them off their back. Yeah, Glenn Penn's character has a girlfriend who he's like trying to see more often. And Zoe Deutsch wants to be a writer, but she doesn't have time to write because... And the assistants or the kind of bosses are played really, really well by Tay Diggs and Lucy Liu, who are a really good combination on their own, but they're so dynamic together and they have so much chemistry. Like, that's a really great one. There was a romantic comedy that came out in the middle of lockdown, which got criminally overlooked, called The Broken Hearts Gallery. I think it's on... I have even heard of that. Yeah, it's on... I think it's on Amazon. It, it was produced by Selena Gomez. Um, and it is so incredible. It's like okay. a modern When Harry Met Sally. Okay. Um, so it's like follows this guy who's trying to set up a hotel and this girl who keeps getting dumped and she keeps trinkets from all of her exes. So her room is just like full of things from past relationships. Um, and he's trying to set up this hotel and he's having like money problems. So they put this like plan together for this broken hearts gallery where she like brings all of the tokens of her exes and then puts out like a call on social media for everybody to come and like deposit their tokens of their ex-relationship so they can like get them off their back and like kind of be free it's kind of you know one of those like anger rooms where yeah. people go to like smash things it's kind of like that but you go and like put your items on display so people it's can like, like walk around and have a look and like little yeah like little notes or like teddy bears or things like that and again the chemistry between the, the two leads is incredible the lead guy in it is Billy from Stranger Things Zachary Montgomery yeah and he is again in that's so attractive but he's really really good but I think like a lot of those and then there's another the one called um, I think it's Plus One with Jack Quaid um, and the Pam Springs which is an Andy Samberg one yeah, fuck actually Pam, I've, I've been hard on the wrong Pam, like, Pam Springs really yeah. really good ones and they're all kind of tied to streamers mm. um, and I think it's just because they don't like it, they're so cheap to make and they've kind of got nothing to lose right they'll make they'll make them and they'll put them online and if you find them you find them like there's little or no marketing kind of goes into them and it's not like they've already kind of recouped their investment like you already have your subscription yeah. so they already have your money whether you watch <clears> it or not it doesn't really make a difference to them so because of that I think the kind of pressure is off mm. so it doesn't really make a difference what the critics think like you know Netflix Amazon Apple, whoever, already have your money. So it doesn't really make it. If you watch it, you watch it. And I think that's where you find the most kind of hidden gems in the modern romantic comedy is because they don't have the pressure of recouping their kind of, their investment. They don't have the the box office returns as yeah. being like one of the main drivers for any sort of kind of success. 
Um, and I think like they have come out with some really, really good stuff <laughs> recently enough. Um, but in terms of like, what does like a rom-com look like in 2023? It's kind of really difficult because like, I don't know if we get into where we can get into it now. It's like the recent examples that have just been so bad. Mm. Like, well, the, then talk to me. What? Yeah. Surely there's, you've given a lot of people some good recommendations. Give but some what, good ones. what should yeah. people be actively avoiding? Like the two most recent ones that spring to mind are the, the you people one with Jonah Hill um, and Lauren London and and, and Eddie Murphy yeah Yeah. Uh, that's on Netflix and then also another Netflix one which might kind of just totally eradicate everything I've said in defence of the Netflix rom-com but the Your Place or Mine with Reese Witherspoon and Ashton Kutcher which has kind of had this whole thing with its marketing campaign because they like did you see those press call photos where they just look like they actively hate I each talk, other yeah I talked about it on the podcast a couple yeah. weeks ago they were like top the flops because it was just like they couldn't they even they hate each other I think it's bad that they even had to get like Mila was getting in on it being yeah. like okay guys you clearly hate each other like standing really far and standing really far apart in red really carpets and then it was like did they do it on purpose so that people would talk about it and then I'm like but that's still not good press no. for a movie that's all about like romance and connection yeah. and oh, I think they I were know. trying to peddle this idea that Ashton and Reed were these two really good friends and they've known each other for years and then this came along and they've always wanted to work together and um, so they just jumped at the chance and I think that was the narrative they they were trying to peddle and I, I just don't think they know each other I just don't think they're no, that good of friends at all and they were trying to sell you that and then those press photos came out and then you're like oh uh, no in all of the press interviews they did it was like again like glowing at like talking about their admiration for each other's work and stuff but everything was so top level yeah. so vague about the other person there yeah. is no way I'd say they've po- spoken maybe five times <laughs> yeah if even and I even the whole premise of the movie is that they're best friends or like I think they might have hooked up in college and then but they've just and they decide to house swap yeah they literally house swap it's like kind of like the holiday he lives in LA and she lives in New York or no it's opposite way around sorry she lives in LA and he lives in New York and then they swap and she goes to New York and she meets Jesse Williams and she has this kind of Jesse Williams is who was Jackson from Grey's Anatomy oh, yeah okay maybe I will watch oh, great so they have this like dalliance together and that makes like Ashton Kutcher realise that uh, maybe you know I should it should have been her all along but they spend the vast majority of the movie apart so like mm. they, we talked about kind of charisma being such an integral part of it but it's like they don't even have a lot of screen time together so that's how they sell it and that's how they get away with it it's like they don't have to interact for the majority okay, of the movie okay that's oh my god because look I'm not sitting here being like you have to be licking each other up and down for me to believe no. it like I think yeah. but if you even compare to like what was that movie Jessica Chastain and Oscar Isaac were in and they were like... Oh, that and like, was like a c- scenes from a marriage. Scenes from a marriage. Yeah. And that's all, that's like the, a, about a dissolution of a relationship, but like yeah. the red carpet. And like so he's like stroking sexy. her arm and like looking at her. It's like, at least, okay, there's obviously drumming up a level of intrigue course, here being yeah. like, I'm going to watch. But at the same time, it's like, okay, you're set like... I think you do need to go heavy on the romance. That's why we love the old school ones. That's yeah. why like we fell so hard for like when Harry Met Sally and like Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail because it's yeah. like... You could feel it, and it wasn't necessarily in a very like they're ripping each other's clothes off, and we're sit we're seeing them go at it on a bed. But yeah. it's like they're in love. They're in love you know what I mean? Like they, yeah. you see, it's why I like I, I feel like I bring everything back to Love Island, and I don't mean to, but like <laughs> yeah. why I have issues with when some people or when some couples get to the final and some don't. I need to believe on even like the minutest level that they're that they are in um, love that there yeah. is a, that someone has fallen in love you yeah. know what I mean like I love the entertainment I love the showman's couples as well yeah 
But there's something inherently dissatisfying about seeing two people and I, I, I can't see it. I yes. don't believe it. I don't buy it. You really you know? have to like buy into it. And to go like completely off course here, but it's just the thing I think about the most is like, do you, have you watched Bridgerton? Have you watched the like first I've two seasons? I've watched, oh, I watched the first season, but I actually haven't watched the second okay. season. Well, you need but to I know, watch the second but I, season. So that's it's like so Simone Ashley better. and it's like way more, way like, deliberately slow burn. Deliberately like More no catered, sex. like female gaze. Yeah, because the yeah. first series, I'll never get watching that like Christmas during <laughs> yeah. the pandemic being like will, will I watch this with my family and then they're like sh- shagging on the stairs or he's like giving her a lick out like up against a library <laughs> yeah. and it's like I I have, I can only stay in my house like if I leave the <laughs> COVID is going to get me and I have to stay here and look at my mum and be like well that was great, great wasn't it? Yeah, that was really good oh, Jesus. but for me it's what made the second season so successful is that like there wasn't that heaviness on sex but like at, when I was watching this like every time they would kind of brush hands or like t- twirl past each other on the dance floor my stomach was in knots mm. with the butterflies and I was like this this is it this is the chemistry this is the charisma this is the romance like I just say I don't need them to like literally tear each other's clothes off I know they want like deep down I know they want to do that but they just can't and that's what makes it all the more better is that it doesn't I think there's sometimes people are like oh well they're too the rom-coms like are too cheap easy or they don't kind of they're you know they're too like PG or whatever it leads up to this kiss and that's it and then you don't see anything else of the relationship or you don't see that desire but I don't think you need that like I don't think you need explicit sex for a rom-com to be good I think you just need to have at the centre of it just two characters that you can as you say in any in the smallest sense have a belief that they could be together and like you've had the kind of people have said it with like the mis mismatched couples before. Do you know in terms of like when Harry Met Sally is a good example with like Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan? It's like would Billy Crystal ever be able to pull Meg ba- Ryan? I won't have a bad word said about Billy Crystal. <laughs> like, like, no, I'll just say that right now. I know that's not what you're inferring, <laughs> but if anyone's listening to this and thinking they want to start an argument with me about Billy Crystal, you won't. Billy you won't, Crystal babe. in that white jumper, oh, and the autumn vibes in New York. <laughs> So great. But we saw it then, right, with the, the Judd Apatow era. Yes. I'm using quotation marks. I know this is an audio platform, but you know what I mean. Mm. The, the Judd Apatow era, which are like these stoner boys or it's, you know, like Seth Rogen being able to pull Catherine Heigl, mm. which you're like, is that ever going to happen? I don't know. It's like, again, it's these people kind of looking at a settling or these like mis- mis- mismatched couples that you never see like get together. Like if they have in any sort of chemistry, it doesn't make a difference whether you think plausibly would they be able to get together or if this and conventionally might they get together. You're like, if they have the tiniest bit of charisma and chemistry together, you're going to believe it. Yeah. And that's all it kind of takes. About suspending that, uh, that disbelief again. Yeah. You mentioned you people there, which yeah. uh, actually was kind of the subject of this piece in The New Yorker recently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with three critics basically talking about and kind of touching on what we've been talking about uh, this evening about where the rom-com lies in 2023 and whether mm-hmm. we're, we're at a crisis point for it because the end of you people, spoilers, um, it's not really a spoiler, but it's like essentially the final scene. Uh, yeah. They they kiss Lauren London and Jonah Hill. Yeah. Um, but apparently, allegedly, someone who was on the set or in the movie revealed on a podcast that that scene was actually CGI'd. Um, because I think I think Jonah Hill had pulled out or like wasn't committing to things towards the end because of his mental health. I think yeah. there could be another reason. I'm not 100% sure. But anyway, it is alleged that that was CGI. So they were kind of talking about then and just talking about the things we're talking about here. Yeah. Like, 
you know, are things too heavy on the calm, too heavy on the ROM? Like, where's the balance? Are we not mm-hmm. believing the connection? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I'll link it in the show notes for anyone who wants to read it because it's very interesting. But do you think rom-coms are at a crisis point again? Like the same crisis points they were maybe coming out of the aughts into the teens? Or are we like, you seem, I think you have a positive outlook on it, but... I do, I do have a positive kind of outlook on the state of the rom-com. I think sometimes, like, when you try to overburden it is when I think it fails. And I think, like, you people is trying to do too much with a very small kind of runtime. Okay. In that, like, I, they kind of highlight it in that New Yorker article where, you know, they're talking about it It really loses the ROM aspect of it and that you see them kind of meet and then it jumps to six months later. And then the centre of the action is like revolved around these two families from different cultures clash meeting and clashing. And it not in the kind of fun, my big fat Greek wedding way where like everybody, you know, it's like, how are they going to get on? And then of course they get along because they come together how, for like the betterment of the couple. This yeah. Is, yeah, yeah. You know, or whatever they you know, you have that, the conflict when you have those kind of cultural clash or family clash, the conflict of your rom-com is you put all the family together and then you have your central couple being like, well, I can't do this if our families aren't going to get along. And that's when they break up and then, you know, the families realise, oh, well, they actually really are meant for each other and they all come back together in the end. But I think the issue with you people, the the commentary I've seen is like, they focus too much on the supporting players in that like, it was very heavy for like Eddie Murphy, who's, you know, plays the dad and Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who's Johnny Hill's mom. Um, <coughs> and it kind of leaned really heavily into the comedy side as opposed to the romance. And I think it's like, it's difficult. Like comedy is so subjective. Mm. So like things that you find funny, I might not find funny and vice versa. So like it can be hard to kind of strike that balance. But when you're like doing a rom-com where you don't, you focus instead on the like, conflict or the kind of issues of the people surrounding the couple as opposed to the couple itself like it's just not gonna work well it's like you're not gonna want to root for them because it's like I am focusing on all of these other people like why should I care about these two yeah and a lot that and another one rom-com recent rom-com that was kind of touched on in that article is bros which I saw when I was over in New York and it was I think it would have been a very it's a very different experience having seen it with an American crowd because there was a lot of things that I didn't get that my friends did okay but like for so for people who aren't aware, Bros is a, a gay romantic comedy with Billy Eichner, um, who wrote it and stars in it, and he casts this incredibly attractive man whose name has just escaped me now to play his uh, kind of romantic lead uh, opposite him, and they're they're one of those kind of couples who you you wouldn't put them together. But it leans really heavily into this, like, you wouldn't put them together because of, like, Billy Eichner's own insecurities, not as opposed to that they're just not compatible. Mm. Who is it? Luke McFarlane. Luke McFarlane. Luke McFarlane, yeah, yeah. he's very handsome. He's a very handsome, very, very handsome man. But similar to you people, it leaned too heavily into this, like, social commentary idea. Was that also kind of a little bit Billy's fault for being like, this yeah. is the first gay uh, sorry, I'm be- I, I'm going to take that tone back because that's a bit rude, right? But <laughs> yeah. it, the way he was positioning it was like, this is the first like gay rom-com ever and if you're not supporting it, like you're, you're a bad person and like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, like we never get this representation on screen, which like... And that is an example that leaned very... It, well, it leaned very heavily into the explicit sex. It wasn't like overly... Explicit. Yeah, I think, and I think in that regard, it's yeah. like, okay, yes, we have, we don't really generally see that on screen, and yeah. it's like good to see that on screen, and it's important that that's seen sure. on screen. But it's also not like, I don't know, there have been movies that paved the way before that, yeah. and I think to not acknowledge that is a bit, oh. yeah. And it was all, it was as well, as you said, the way that kind of 
the icon then came out afterward and kind of went on the attack in terms of like, it was like the marketing's problem. It was, you know, the gay community's problem for not going out to support. It was the straight community's fault for not going out and being better allies. And it was just like, well, no, at the crux of it, you tried to do too much with too little. And there wasn't as much of a focus for me on the central couple. There was a lot of focus on like their families and their kind of friends around them and also a lot of focus on like Billy Eichner's character works for like a gay a fictional kind of gay lesbian museum in New York that they're trying to get up and running and that's the kind of main source of the calm and leans very heavily into the calm where it kind of loses that romance aspect Mm -hmm. and you're like no you just tried to do too much too little if you hadn't have tried to like go really heavily with this kind of bringing out so much kind of gay and lesbian issues into the rom-com you're like it would have been fine it's like all you want is to just see two men fall in love and that's fine this should be like a place for that but like you were like so heavily getting into other things that it just distracted from like the rom-com and I think it's a hard it's a hard balance to strike between the romance and the comedy but there's also like how much of it is like as we talked about earlier with the when it was in the recession, you don't want to go to the cinema to see people like spend a lot of money. Like where we're at kind of now, even like in Ireland and abroad, it's like you have people who are living at home for longer. Um, and like, do you want to see a romantic comedy about a girl who like struggles to fucking sleep with someone because like she lives in the room above her mom? Like, mm. no, like it's like, what do you want to see or what do you don't, you don't want to see? Um, there was a good point in that New Yorker article where they talk about like, when Harry met Sally and it, the crux of the romantic comedy like in the 80s was like these were people who were in their early 20s for the most part but they were like adults and it was either you never leave your small hometown and you buy a house in your small hometown or you move to move to New York and you never talk to your family again and it was kind of one or the other whereas our kind of generation now we're kind of like bridging that gap where we're at home for so much longer that's like how do you depict that and how do you like convince people that this is a kind of representative a, a actual rom-com that re- represents us and like where we are at now in our life because like I don't want to go and see that rom-com of like a girl who's like still living at home and like is struggling with XYZ it's generally not for like the it's, rental crisis generally not very romantic I <laughs> will the say sexiest thing yeah. you know you're gonna have to navigate on screen but it's like how do you bridge that gap of being totally unbelievable that like no like shying away from kind of issues of today or whatever and being wholly unbelievable or leaning into the issues of today and trying to bring that into your movie but then kind of losing the rom and the yeah. and then yeah. like ending up with a movie that just doesn't work well and characters that don't have any chemistry there was a good point people in the new the critics in the New Yorker article made was like in you people the best chemistry is with the parents mm. it's with Eddie Murphy and Nia Long and Julia Louis-Dreyfus and I think it's David Duchovny is uh, yes. yeah. Jonah Hill's dad yeah. like that's where the the rom the romance comes from. It's like their chemistry, not between like Lauren London and Tony Hill. Yeah. Another another good one recent I loved The Lost City. Did you see The Lost oh, City? I loved Just the kind Lost of also City. like you could probably position that as like an action like adventure yeah. movie, but But I then again, it. like to bring it all back to that, like Channing Tatum and Sandra Bullock have such good chemistry. Such good chemistry. That like they're so they're so believable on screen mm. and it translates into even their press tours where you can tell that they just get on so well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, one thing that shook me to my core when I figured this out uh, about this movie, bring it back to What's Your Number? Yeah. The director... Oh my God, I wrote this down for you. Mark. <laughs> so Mark Mylod is the director. He's done a lot of TV, British. This is This only ended up being like 
his third movie, maybe. Yeah. And since, like, he's he most recently will have done The Menu, if people have seen the, the Nicholas Holtz, Anya Taylor-Joy. I, I haven't... Okay, very different at tonally. The, <laughs> at the time of recording this, I haven't I haven't watched it. I've heard lots of things about it. I'm going to watch it and, like, the out of the episode, I'll talk yeah. about The Menu because, as you said, extremely different tonally, like, horror comedy. But, like, Mark Milet has worked on, to name but a few, Succession... Yeah. He did one of the best episodes of Succession, Succession yeah. in season two. Uh, Shameless. Uh, his other feature films are Ali G in the House, which <laughs> yeah. is incredible. Uh, the Big White, which I can't remember. Um, but it, in other stuff he's done, The Royal Family, Cold Feet. Yeah. It's Reeves and Mortimer. He did the pilot episode for The Affair. He's done episodes of Game of Thrones. Yeah. Like it's just... I, because you know when you're doing research for this and you go onto Wikipedia page and you, like, I always look at the writer, the director, see if there yeah. are any funny links. And this is the first time where I was like, what the fuck? I was like, this is all of my interests. Like, Combined just intersecting at once. Yeah. It's just, and he did, he did an interview with Fanny Fair, which I linked below as well, kind of talking about, it was more about the menu and like, uh, why he wanted to do it and stuff and his journey yeah. to the menu about the fact that like the previous movies What's Your Number Allergy in the House and The Big yeah. White they kind of he wasn't fully happy with them and like the menu he was like really massively dedicated to but even yeah. when he did that episode of Succession in season 2 it's the one where they're trying to get the murder and it's that dinner party yeah, episode yeah. like Steven Spielberg wrote him a letter after being like that was class like you did I'm Jesus. paraphrasing what was essentially like that incredible television you're so good blah 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 and then to find out he did what's your number I'm like that's range <laughs> no, that's I range literally like line one I have like what's your number 2011 director Mark Myloid brackets succession 13 episodes must talk about with Fanula like I was like she is going to love this but incredibly like breakneck speed change of pace there like with Shameless and Succession Ali G in the house in the house in the house I wonder when you do the podcast you might see if I can get an email from him I'd love to chat to him I would find that fascinating Um, Robin what's your elevator pitch for what's your number and why do you think it flopped and why do you think people should reevaluate that and just embrace it in your heart in their hearts as you have I think, yeah, I think everybody should give it a go. And I will say, I can't give a more glowing review than to tell you that everybody that I have sent to watch this has loved it. Mm. Like anytime anybody comes to me, like people do come to me and offer movie recommendations or is this good, is that good? And they don't know what to watch. And I'm like, go watch What's Your Number? It's on Disney+. Plus. It was on Netflix for a while. Um, but I think it kind of switched over when like Disney got Fox and they got all the foxy, fox searchlight things. All the foxy stuff. All the foxy things over on it. <laughs> Disney Plus now but everyone that I have sent have sent to watch this has absolutely loved it and I think it's one of those like it's such as I say it's my all-time favorite film even ashamedly so but it's such a comfort film for me like when it's a rainy day I pop it on like I had a hard day in work yesterday and like re-watching this I was like this is joy this is so <laughs> good like the chemistry is so good it is really really funny um and I think it's just like one of those, it's light. It's two actors that you know and that you can get behind um, in a kind of, it's it's simple enough in its premise. It doesn't ask a lot of you. You can kind of shut your brain off and kind of get lost in it. And in the, in the end of it, like when they do get together, like the first time I watched this, I cried. Now, I don't know what kind of <laughs> position, like my granny always says about me that my bladder is too close to my eyes because between like movies and like TV commercials and stuff, I will cry at all Good the time. time. Yeah. But like when it got to that thing and the end, like she says to him, I'm happiest when I'm myself and I'm myself and I'm with you tears mm-hmm. absolutely like tears streaming down my face um, 
So I think, yeah, if you're if you want a nice, like lighthearted watch, something that you can just shut your brain off. It's like kind of a warm comfort blanket of a film. You do have to, like, as we say, a little bit problematic looking back on it 12 years down the line. You might have to suspend everything your is. A I feel bit. bad when I ask people and they come on and they're like, yeah, some of it hasn't aged well. I'm like, I know, it's fine. I know, I know. It's, I know. It's, fine. it's fine. It's fine. Some of the best movies like really haven't. But, you know, yeah. it's being it's being able to look back at it. But even like romantic comedies, like, oh, God, try and watch a John Hughes film in like 2023 and yeah. it's just not a good experience it's, ex- not, yeah. it's not a good experience not happening, babes. it's, it's not, not happening. happening but yeah it's you know suspend your disbelief it's great it's really really enjoyable and I did enjoy it actually yeah. I did enjoy it it's uh, like it's only what I think it's just under an hour and 20 hour 47 an hour 40 yeah a great movie length. I think um, so like great length only 100 and, 107 minutes I love it Robin, it's been a pleasure. Where can people find out more about you? Yes. So I am on Instagram as Reviews by Robin. That's me. I will do kind of film and TV reviews. And now that we are in award season, um, lots of awards commentary. I will be staying up to watch the Oscars live and be posting stories of them. Um, I always like, I used to do it on my close friend's story. And would say to my friends, you know, preemptively the day of the Oscars, be like, I'm really sorry you're going to wake up to about 400 videos of me like screaming or crying or like raging at a result. Um, so now I just do it on an entirely different Instagram for people to go and watch. But yeah, I do the Oscars commentary on Reviews by Robin and I do movie reviews and I am on TikTok as Little Miss Murphy where I'll just talk about a lot of kind of different movie and TV stuff or do topical TikToks to funny sounds I'm on my Last of Us trend now Oh yes <laughs> aren't we all aren't we all Pedro Pascal Oh Pedro Pascal I can't talk about it we'll be here all no, night No we'll be here all day <laughs> Robin, thank you so much. I will leave all your links in the show notes. And I can't wait to talk rom-coms again very soon. Yes, I have so many more ideas for flops we can get back on Hit to. me. We're not, we're yeah. not short of material. We're, we're not, short not short of short material. material. I was even thinking about like earlier talking about, you know, with Chris Evans and how I felt sometimes maybe it's a bit fatigued. Mm-hmm. I had felt that with Miles Teller until uh, Top Gun came out and now I'm like back on the Teller train. And then <laughs> even thinking about this, I was like, God, his Fantastic Four would be a great flop to talk about. <gasps> that is, I think my sister wanted to do that flop. Oh, you should have her on do it. It's yeah. really, really good. It's I'm so bad. It's good. It. Anyway, She's had sorry. a lot of ideas for flops, but then she had, a ba- she had a baby who I am obsessed with, but it has been taking up a lot of her time. <laughs> a so lot of her time. Not Whenever she's like self-sufficient, we'll sit down and record. Yes. Anyway, love you, Carol. Love you, Niamh. Um, Robin, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me on Flop Culture. Thank you for having me. A huge thank you to Robin again for joining me. I will leave all of her links below. And if you want to watch What's Your Number, you can stream it now on Disney+. Plus. Before I let you go, let's talk Top of the Flops. You're a flop. Top of the Flops this week is King Charles. Maybe perpetually... Uh, floppy but certainly this week because uh, on May 6th he is being coronated he will be crowned he will be officially made king alongside his wife Lady Camilla she will become queen but they're having a little bit of difficulty booking entertainment nobody nobody wants to play at the poor lad's party Adele said no declined for unspecified reasons she's potentially getting married that's the word on the street at the minute but I'd say she also just didn't want to do it to be honest Ed Sheeran is going to be in, Tex- in Texas, so he said no, he can't do it. Those two were like the pair that he was most keen on having, King Charles. 
A few other people he had in the list, Harry Styles, which would get potentially very confusing if you had another Harry around, I would say. So not sure on the logic there. Uh, maybe he loves the new album, probably. Elton John, which flop behaviour even asking that man in the per- first place. Whose big idea was it to invite Elton John? Who did that? Who did that phone call? What did that sound like? Hi, how are you? Oh my God, it's been so... How are you? How's David and the kids? I come here. The song with Dua. Wow, you've you've done it again. You have done it again. So listen, right? I know, I know, I know. He, I know. They, I know he was married to Anna, and you know, like the the unsavoriness of that. I know. Look, not great, but but he's got a big gaff coming up. He wants you to come. All the drinks free. I've made punch. It's going to be good. No, hello, right? Hello. No, he hung up. That's how I imagine that call went. The Spice Girls, who we heard a lot about in Prince Harry's memoir, uh, they said no. I think they were trying really hard to get the Spice Girls to do it because obviously that means a reunion. People love a Spice Girls reunion, however itty-bitty it is. They also thought it might be a way of luring Prince Harry into attending. Apparently he's not attending unless he gets an apology. (sighs) I just... It's a bit embarrassing, like... And it, oh, I just, the tragedy of it all is kind of incredible. That said, I do have some suggestions for other acts. He could book uh, Abby Lisa. I'm Abby, she's Lisa. Together we are Abby Lisa. I think they might be free. I'm not sure. Christopher Maloney. I feel like he'd be quite available. Uh, That French bulldog that sounds like Lady Gaga that goes viral like every six months would go down a treat. And to be honest, you could probably just put the dog behind a curtain and be like, oh my God, Lady Gaga came. Woo! Say nothing. Uh, The guy who does the YMAC song? Actually, no, sorry. He's touring. He's, he's touring. He can't do it. But then I'm wondering, is it like, he'd be lucky enough if he'd get Crystal Swing at this point. Do you know what I mean? Maybe that's an insult to Crystal Swing. I don't think Crystal Swing would do it. Um, But yeah, flop behaviour. Flop. That's that's what that's what you get when you flop. That's that Paramore song, isn't it? That's what you get when you flop. No, no one wants to play at your party. It's his party. He'll cry if he wants to. Saws, Saws, King Charles, do better, do better. Thank you so much for listening, as always. Or if it's your first time, you're so welcome. I hope you come back. We are Flop Culture underscore Pod on Instagram and TikTok. You can get in touch, as always, at helloflopculture@gmail.com. If you have a suggestion for any episode, let me know. I'm always taking them. Rate the show five stars on Apple Podcasts to get a personalised pop or flop recommendation from me. You can also leave a five-star review on Spotify. It helps people find the show and it's hugely appreciated by me. This podcast has been edited by Adam Shannon. Artwork, as always, by Brian Lambert. I will talk to you all next week. Take care of yourselves. Bye.